0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content.
1: Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch.
0: Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We've got a special guest in the house today in the studio with me, as a matter of fact, and we're going to be talking about some important issues, some issues that... We don't really want to discuss, but we've got to discuss. Uh, the, the issues of nuclear war, the issues of nuclear threats that are out there right now. If anybody's been paying attention to the news, we've got a, a kind of a looming situation with two powerful countries. And, you know, we oftentimes hear about them in terms of terrorism. Right. We hear about Pakistan. We hear about India in terms of terrorism and other areas like that. But we don't usually hear about them in terms of nuclear weapons. But these are two really, really big countries who have nuclear weapons. And right now they've been engaged in battle, uh, been shooting down airplanes, been shooting artillery and missiles at each other. And so we're all all wondering right, right now, where are we when we have two powers who have nuclear weapons who are basically fighting each other? And what happens if somebody decides to take this a little bit further? What happens if somebody decides to push the button and send a nuclear missile? Where do we go from there? And we're going to be talking about this nuclear threat, not only with India and Pakistan, but also with Russia, also with North Korea, also in the Asia Peninsula. And where are we right now as the nuclear threat is kind of looming over us right now? I have the honor to have a special guest right now, Joan Joan, give me tell me the raw thing raw So I just want to make sure I get it right. But Joan is the president CEO. I mean, COO. Don't let me get the tie. I just promoted you. But the COO of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. You can find their website at nti.org. But she's going to be here. She's an expert on this. Her and her whole staff is an expert on this issue. And we're going to be talking about this today. Joan, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Derek. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for putting a spotlight on this important issue. And thank you for my promotion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, when you get back, you've got a new salary, a new check, (laughs) and everything else. But hey, talk to us about one, what NTI is, the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Let's talk about that first. What kind of organization are you? How long have you been doing this kind of stuff? What do you do as it relates to the nuclear threat?
1: Yeah, thank you. So I think I'd start by saying forget about everything you know about or think about your typical Washington-based mm-hmm. NGO. Mm-hmm. We are not that. Okay. We okay. are not a think tank. Mm-hmm. We're not an advocacy organization. Okay. We are a unique global security organization working to prevent the use of weapons of mass destruction and disruption, so right. nuclear, chemical, biological, mm-hmm. cyber, and radiological, mm-hmm. dirty bombs. Okay. So um, what makes us unique is our operating model, which is to go out to work in the real world, I like to say, in mm-hmm. the field with partners. We partner with the private sector. We partner with governments. We partner with other experts in developing, uh, conceiving of, and then implementing solutions. So coming up with solutions to reducing urgent threats, um, demonstrating them. S- sometimes on a pilot scale in the field, and together with governments working to try to scale them up and institutionalize these solutions. So Mm -hmm. happy to give you some examples of that. That's kind of a mouthful, but we're unaware of any other organization within this mission space that's working in this operating model.
0: You know, how did you guys, I mean, how did you guys get, I mean, this is so interesting kind of model. How did you get started? I mean, was was it a bunch of great minds who were just kind of thinking about weapons of mass destruction and, and nuclear and sea Bernie and everything else? I remember when I was in the Marines, I, I remember we would talked about NBC and weapons of mass destruction and everything else all the time. And so how did you guys get started
1: so doing it, this? it was a couple of great minds, actually. Our co-founders are former Senator Sam Nunn and mm. Ted Turner, the the former founder yeah, of or, CNN, CNN yeah, or not yeah. the former, but the founder of <laughs> CNN, and uh, the the two of them, both uh, Georgians, both of them living in Atlanta, uh, found each other in the 2000 time frame. Um, Ted Turner, who, as you know, is a very generous philanthropist, mm-hmm. um, had, like many people, thought that the nuclear threat went away with the end of the dissolution sure. of the Soviet Union, and when he realized uh, in the year 2000 that this was still a very live threat. In fact, he um, he saw a segment on 60 Minutes about uh, kind of U.S.-Russia relationship that really concerned him, and he called up Senator Nunn and said, we've got to work on this mm-hmm. together. So wow. they founded us. We opened our doors in 2001, okay. um, based initially on a very generous donation from Mr. Turner. We've mm-hmm. evolved to a model where we now have a broad range of donors. We've mm-hmm. spent down... Mr. Turner's initial Mm -hmm. donation, and we pretty quickly determined that we could be most effective in trying to work on what we call the common ground. We're a very pragmatically focused institution. We've set very lofty aspirations for working to prevent the use of any weapon of mass destruction or disruption Mm -hmm. and to end their threat to the world through, um, you know, wrapping a lot of uh, controls around them, regulating them, and and where possible, eliminating them. Um, Lofty goals, but pragmatic solutions, looking at where can we find common ground where we can get states to act in their collective self-interest to take measures to reduce, minimize, and eliminate the threat. Right, right.
0: What would you say right now, and I want to get specific when we get a moment, but what would you say overall – right is where are we right now with this threat like you mentioned about kind of people thought that it went away when the, the you know the USSR was gone right when we saw kind of the falls of, of certain you know entities right and everything else and we you know saw the the you know uh you know east and west kind of come together and and russia become changed and that whole eurasia market dynamic kind of you know, was kind of shifted and people start joining uh nato and everything else what do you think right now is the state of the nuclear threats?
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, we're at a very perilous moment. And one of the things that's been challenging for us institutionally and for anybody who cares about these issues is that even though we're at a perilous moment and the threat is more complex, there are more states with nuclear weapons. With the advancement of technology, mm-hmm. there are new ways where, you know, for example, cyber – Cyber vulnerabilities of nuclear systems create yet another pathway to possible nuclear use through spoofing, through miscalculation, through um, compromising systems of command and control for nuclear weapons um, that make the world much more complex, more dangerous. And even as that is the case, we have, I would say, very low public awareness of the nuclear threat there's a whole generation that didn't grow up with any awareness of you know imminent uh, right. an imminent attack when so'm I'm a I'm a dating myself here no. a child of the 1960s uh, well, you and, know,
0: it's funny I was just reading uh, that uh, you know I, I followed the Marine Corps for a lot of reasons, but they were saying that the new generation Marines don't know about 9/11. Right, because I mean they weren't born you know, I mean they were kids. They were
1: too young. They They were were just toddlers. exactly. And and
0: and they have to have a a, a course. (laughs) You know. For us it's like it's yesterday, right? I mean, but for for the new generation and the same thing, you know, the Cold War, all the other pieces, people now are, are completely detached from that. We had a whole new generation who doesn't even understand Vietnam or some of the wars or or just the impact of nuclear weapons. Right. When we tested, you right. know, what happened when we did World War
1: II and tested
0: certain nuclear weapons or, or dropped the bomb.
1: Right. You know? That That's absolutely right. So against that backdrop um, – and, and we don't also have the same level of leadership investment yeah. in these – issues and understanding them as as deeply as we did as we were building a system of restraints and, and controls during the Cold War. So we have some work to do to galvanize public awareness and to get our leaders engaged in the steps we have to take to create a safer world.
0: Right, right. You know, when we come back and we got to take a quick break, when we come back, I want to talk about kind of India, and Pakistan. I want to go into the actual issues that we're concerned about right now. Would you say that people are are receptive of of what you're talking about? I mean, are you getting people who are saying, you know, wow, I, I didn't know this. And maybe congressional people or leaders or military people, whoever, are people kind of hearing the message and, and really kind of saying, you know what, I need to deal with it? Or are people like, no, nah, it's not that important. What, what are but you sensing? Both. OK.
1: Right. So, you know, most people, when you explain this to them, they say, wow, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for telling me. Mm-hmm. But that's often followed, you know, in quick succession with the reaction of, oh, my God, that's overwhelming. What can I do about mm-hmm. it? So okay. I hope we have some time to talk yeah, about yeah. what We're we can talk, do about yeah, it because there are some things we can okay, do. Okay,
0: good. Some people think it's, it's too much and they just and, – and then when and it they shut, down, too much, they shut right? it right? These are hard
1: issues right. to think about. Right. But there is – the good news is there are things we can do about it. We These
0: We're are talk about some solutions man-made
1: problems and there are man-made solutions. <laughs> without question. We've been talking to Joan Roffling.
0: Did I get it right? Rolling. 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 I'm sorry. Thing. I got it. And and she's the president and chief operating officer of NTI, which is the Nuclear Threat Initiative. You can find their website at nti.org. Great site that was started, you know, 2000s, 2001, 2001, right around. Yeah, a, 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 a really kind of important year. Uh, you know, for many of us, an important year for this country as well, when we saw a number of different things happen with terrorism and everything else. But one of the areas they focus in on is nuclear terrorism. And so you can find a lot of information on their website, nti.org. We're going to keep on talking about this, the nuclear threat, when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. We have been talking about an important issue, and I think a lot of people have kind of lost it because we don't really deal with it on a regular basis. The the, the dynamic of a nuclear threat, uh, about somebody launching a nuclear weapon, a power... And many people don't know how many countries have nuclear weapons. They just think it's the U.S., maybe Russia, maybe a couple other countries. We're going to even talk about that because there's a lot of more countries that have nuclear weapons and capabilities than most people even think about right now. And that threat is always looming. We're seeing that threat right now, even as we see two countries who are in the news where we have Pakistan and India. And they're kind of, you know, they're fighting right now to a degree. It may not be an all-out war scenario. And hopefully this going to pull itself back. But we do have two nuclear powers who are basically in a war footing at this moment. And that is a scary thing for us to think about. And this is why we're talking about nuclear threat today. We've got Joan Roffling, and she is the president and COO, the chief operating officer of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. And she's here and she's one of these experts who's been around. Focusing on the nuclear threat for many years, and they're working to probably stop this threat, to stop anybody from launching anything, to stop nuclear terrorism, or stop any of these threats. Right now, their whole organization is founded upon that belief to stop this threat. Joan, you know, when we think about what's going on right now, uh, Pakistan, India, how scary is that for you? I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a very serious moment. It's a, it's a frightening moment, and. I want to say a few words about India, Pakistan, what's going on there, why we should be worried, and what needs to happen there. But I want to add one thing right in front of that so that your listeners understand that India and Pakistan are two of nine existing nuclear weapon states. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the challenge. As the number of nuclear weapon states grows, Mm -hmm. so too does the complexity of the problem and the increases of it being used somewhere, either intentionally or by accident. Or, or by by, ha- mis- by, ha- by, by blunder, exactly. right? Or a hacker? Or a hacker? You the cyber, yeah. and th- and that was my second point. <laughs> it's not just you know in the old days we worried about deterrence breaking down and the U S. or Russia deciding for whatever reason to use nuclear weapons against each mm-hmm. other. That was the principal focus of our threat. In today's world, we have to worry about regional powers deciding to use it to overcome regional disputes, as in with India and Pakistan, or we have to worry about a hacker. Somehow compromising our command and control system, not just the U.S. system, which I would argue is kind of the strongest sure. system sure. in the world. Sure. But, you know, think about in less developed countries right. with newer nuclear arsenals right. or nuclear terrorism. That was the right. one thing we hadn't mentioned, right. and right. we can come back to that later um, but and, we, we worry a lot about terrorists acquiring the that, key ingredients to develop a crude nuclear device and then exploding it in an American city somewhere.
0: And let me touch on this before you go into India and Pakistan. You mentioned about the nine, but you also mentioned that there are other nations who are trying to acquire, right. you know, in this. I mean, our, our, and, and, I, and I and I hear it all the time about everybody talks about the deterrence, right? Right. We want to get a nuclear weapon so we can deter anybody else right. from kind of, you know, Correct. bullying us, right? Correct. we got a nuclear weapon. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing a race for other people to begin doing this right now?
1: Sure. Nuclear weapons are considered uh, weapons of stature, mm. and they're considered uh, security guarantors. And so, uh, it's one of the reasons why Iran was right. pursuing a nuclear weapons program. Sure. It's clearly why the North Koreans have pursued a nuclear right. weapons program. Right. It's why I worry that if Iran were to return to uh, trying to develop a nuclear weapon that Saudi Arabia would follow suit. The Saudi Arabian government has signaled very clearly that if Iran were to get nuclear weapons capability, that they would also develop their own nuclear weapons program. So these are some of the complexities in today's world that make it so much more dangerous. Too many, you know, many more variables. So just coming quickly to India and Pakistan, because I know our time is short and the world is big, Um, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a series of um incidents where we we see the conflict and the tension escalating, so there was a terrorist attack against Indian forces on february fourteenth a mm-hmm. valentine 's Day massacre and this is kind of uh, an attack in a long line of attacks staged from a terrorist organization based in Pakistan mm-hmm. um, And the Indian government, which had been exercising restraint over now almost two decades, um, some would argue more than that, Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. attacks against Mm -hmm. their parliament, there were the Mumbai attacks, Um, this recent attack, said, enough, right? We've had it. Mm -hmm. And this, too, in an election year. And so they did something they had not done since the 1971 war with Pakistan they flew into Pakistani territory and dropped some bombs on the terrorist camps, right. and Pakistan then took the bait and escalated, and flew into Indian-controlled territory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and uh, dropped bombs on some military targets. Right. right.
0: Um, you know, people don't realize, and you're covering some good history right here about LET, about you know the dynamics of what happened with the terrorist attacks in Mumbai. A lot of people don't realize how all this is tied together. Absolutely, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep
1: on. And there's a there's a long history here. So uh, ultimately, what happened is a, a dogfight resulted between Indian and Pakistani mm-hmm. forces. Some planes were lost. An Indian pilot was captured. And, you know, we wait with bated breath to see, does I Pakistan make another move? Does right. India make another move? Now, the other thing that's important to note, uh, you know, two things. First, I will say Pakistan, as a peace gesture, has returned the Indian pilot. That's very good news. Mm-hmm. They're trying to de-escalate mm-hmm. this situation. Mm-hmm. Thank God for right. that. Right. On the other hand, these two have set up a nuclear dynamic with each other that is extremely dangerous. Were India, in response to this drip, drip, drip Mm -hmm. of terrorist attacks, said we are going to be spring-loaded and ready to go with conventional forces that can be mobilized quickly and pushed into Pakistani territory if necessary, Mm -hmm. their so-called cold-start doctrine. And the way Pakistan responded to that, because the Indian military is far larger and superior to the Pakistani military, is that Pakistan said, well, we're going to take our nuclear weapons and deploy them right up close to the border, Mm. tactical nuclear weapons, to deter India from trying to come into and take and hold Mm. our territory. And further, and this is the part that I find really troubling and frightening, um, we believe, we have big concerns about the security of the tactical nuclear weapons, and we believe that at the highest levels of Pakistani government, they have delegated the authority to use those nuclear weapons Mm. down to lower levels Mm. and possibly the command level. So, um, you know, short-range weapons, forward-deployed, potentially uh, broad authority to use them. In a period of heightened tension, even just in the fog of war with planes being shot down, you have to worry that a weapon could be used. Right,
0: right. You know... uh, i 'm thinking now broader i 'm taking this you know if if that happened right, and you 've got China nearby right we have certain alliances the u s has certain alliances sometimes right what would be the impact of something like that if 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 a, if if one of those countries launched off a nuclear weapon for the world, what would be the impact in terms of other people having to get involved in that
1: well i think the the impact would be um Severe at many levels. First of all, in terms of the potential loss of life, life, we're talking about two countries with very large populations, very dense populations. Depending on where this happened, the immediate loss of life could be enormous. Um, Secondly, it would be the first time since 1945 that a nuclear weapon had been used uh, intentionally and uh, in a conflict and – for me it would open the door to a much lower threshold for nuclear use mm. elsewhere, right. potentially. That right. is something of concern. I think it would galvanize a whole new conversation. Okay. I mean the to the extent there's a silver lining here, yeah. everyone who's forgot about nuclear weapons would be reminded. Oh, without question. And without question. um as an optimist, I would hope that it would force us to think about, wait a minute, you know, what are we doing with these weapons? Mm. Are these weapons mm-hmm. that have a battlefield purpose that can be used, should be used on the battlefield? Or are these inhumane weapons that violate the laws of armed conflict mm-hmm. and that we need to really reassess how we protect against and prevent any further use? Right.
0: We're talking about the nuclear threat. And if anybody's paying attention, that's that a scary picture has just been painted about something that's going on that's real right now. I mean, this is a real threat. These are real situations that are going on. They may be, you know, in another country, but we have to pay attention because we are all impacted if a nuclear weapon goes off in any country, anywhere around the world. That's not going to be an isolated situation. That's going to be a worldwide situation that we all have to deal with the consequences with of nuclear fallout and everything else. Um, We're talking to this about the expert from the Nuclear Threat Initiative, the president and COO of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, Joan Roffling and then so she's you know on top of this her people are on top of this they're looking at this on a regular basis you can find their website at nti.org and i recommend you take a look at it because they cover the different issues the nuclear policy the nuclear terrorism, the cyber situations, the biosecurity, the, radiolo- the radiological situations—we need to be abreast of this. We cannot ignore this situation and cannot think it's far off and just into our screens and into our Facebooks and everything else, and not be paying attention to this as a, as a growing threat. Especially as other countries are trying to get nuclear weapons, and if a if a terrorist, even uh, uh, you know, an L.E.T., Al Qaeda, a uh, uh, Boko Haram, or whoever gets uh, 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 exactly, ISIS, whoever, if any any of these people get a, a, a nuclear weapon possibly for their own cause or if any of the extremist groups, uh, home, you know, the homegrown extremists or whatever, gets nuclear type entity or a nuclear type of weapon, this could be a complete game changer as we are going on right now. We're going to keep on talking about this. We'll be right back after this quick break. you listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Network, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. If you have been listening and you have been paying attention, then – we're talking about the nuclear threat. If you just joined us, you need to go back and hear about what's going on with the nuclear threat because we covered a lot of ground. We talked about a lot of important issues about what's happening with the nuclear threat right now, about how many countries have nuclear weapons, about the India and Pakistan situation and how tense that is right now in terms of something happening you know, between two countries who who have been fighting for quite some time. But this is at a whole new scale of a level where they're basically kind of talking about the dynamics of a, of a nuclear threat or somebody launching a nuclear weapon and putting things at the border where they can do that kind of work right there. We've been talking about all these different things, and, and we're going to have to continue to talk about this because we can't cover it on one show. We're going to have to have the people from NTI back to cover terrorism and cyber because, you know, we're not going to be able to cover all of it right now. But it's an important issue. We've got on with us in the studio, Joan Roffling. She is the president and COO of the Nuclear initiative check out their website at nti.org it's a great website a lot of information on there a lot of analysis on there a lot of news a lot of stuff about the impact we're going to talk about before the show about what they're doing to do this they're educating people but they're also trying to put some things in place to stop this nuclear threat you know Joan. you know we covered the, the the looming threat but we 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 got something that's always here with us russia Right, I mean, we've got and 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 they're here in so many different ways, right? When it comes to our influence of the United States and influence around the world, we we've heard about the elections, we've heard about espionage, we've heard about all this stuff. Where are they on nuclear? Because at one point in time, they were saying, well, we're we're de-scaled. we're we're kind of cutting the nuclear back, right? You know, and we just had a, a that I think they're trying to cut a treaty out, right? About you know, and and take a treaty off the board. Where's Russia right now as terms of the nuclear threat? Are they still a threat?
1: They are absolutely still a threat. Mm. And let me try and provide a little bit of context here about the U.S. and Russia. Um, As the first two nuclear powers in the world, we are still leaders in the nuclear business. Mm. So between the two of us, the U.S. and Russia have more than 90 percent of the world's nuclear arsenal. So there's estimated to be still about 16,000 nuclear weapons in the world. And, uh, the, Enough the to US, kill the world over and over and over many again. Many times right? over. <laughs> and the U.S. and Russia main, maintain the vast majority of stockpiles and um, and kind of set the stage for what the rest of the world does. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world follows us, mm-hmm. models our behavior in terms of the role that nuclear weapons play in our national security mm-hmm. strategies and policies, Sure. in terms of how we deploy our nuclear forces – so what we do really matters. And I'm sorry to say that as the US-Russia relationship has deteriorated to a very dangerous point over the last decade, I mm-hmm. will highlight in particular. Sure. But um, you know, particularly the last five years, um the guardrails that we've built collectively, the US and Russia, around our nuclear systems have been falling off and breaking down. Mm -hmm. And let me give you a few examples of that. So um, we were both very concerned during the height of the Cold War and in the early days of nuclear weapons about how we would create a world where the chances that we would ever use these against each other were significantly reduced. And so – we spent a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. in negotiations with each other, mm-hmm. creating constraints. Back channels, back channels, mm-hmm. front channels, mm-hmm. right, uh, right. creating constraints, engaging in treaties with each other that limited the number of weapons that we could have, that limited the ways in which they were deployed, the you know modes in which they were deployed, um, and that helped put some constraints around. The ability of the rest of the world to develop nuclear weapons as well. And we were very successful in building some pretty strong guardrails through a series of treaties. One of them that's foundational is a nearly universal treaty. That is, almost every country in the world belongs to something called the Nonproliferation mm-hmm. Treaty, which was uh, signed in 1970. And it it binds. The states that were nuclear weapons powers at the time to get rid of their nuclear weapons and the rest of the world, it um, they they bas- basically took a pledge not to develop nuclear weapons mm-hmm. in exchange for receiving um, technology that they could use uh, peacefully to to harness the benefits mm-hmm. of the atoms, so sure. nuclear power, nuclear medicine, et cetera. Um, that's under duress right now. And then there have been a whole series of – Treaties just between the U.S. and Russia, you know, carefully constructed over a 50-year period, that is all crumbling. All of this architecture. So, you mentioned the treaty that uh, has just cratered right. the Intermediate Nuclear yeah. Forces Treaty. Uh, the U.S. withdrew from that, um, and not without reason. Uh, Russia had violated the terms of the treaty by developing nuclear missiles that Mm -hmm. exceeded the range of uh, the limited by the treaty. Um, But, you know, the point here is that as we lose, that's one guardrail that just fell off. So the U.S. has deployed four battalions worth of a missile Mm -hmm. that that violates that treaty and could be nuclear capable. Mm. And there's a last remaining piece of architecture in place right now, the so-called New Start Treaty. Right which regulates how many weapons both the U.S. and Russia can deploy in the field on both sides to 1,550 nuclear weapons. That's due to expire Mm. in February of 2021 unless we take some action either to extend it or to negotiate a successor. And if that's allowed to expire, Mm. we will be in a period for the first time in more than 50 years where we have no no constraints. No guardrails, um, no, you know, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And it opens the door to a renewed right. arms race. Right. So this is a, a dangerous moment and we've we've stopped talking to each other.
0: You know, let me ask this. I mean, what and, – and, and I know every country would do us when what they think is in their best interest. Is that what the case is? Is that Russia felt it's, not, it's no longer in our interest to be a part of this and we're just going to keep on breaking – You know the treaty, or and and you know, hey, if y'all don't pay attention or no one says anything, so be it or whatever. I mean, what are you seeing? Why why are we moving away from this right now? Are we in a different mindset? Is Putin in a different mindset? Is it is it are we with leaders now who are starting to say, you know what, these treaties aren't working anyway. I'm just going to do we're going to do our own thing. Where are we in this point? In time.
1: So we we are in a different mindset. We've lost the ability to talk to each other and to really hear each other's security concerns. Okay, and okay. you know, we can have a debate over well, you know, who inflicted the first blow. <laughs> Where did this start? <laughs> right, sure. Um and you know, that goes back in in history over more than a decade now. Right. Some would say it started with the expansion of NATO closer and closer mm-hmm. to Russian territory. <laughs> mm-hmm. There have been a series of steps on both sides that have led to this breakdown in ability to talk to each other, to Mm -hmm. hear each other, and to take measures that are, again, in our collective Mm self-interest. There's an existential security interest that we both have here, and we have got to get back to the negotiating table. We've got to establish some active back channels. Mm -hmm. We need to have military-to-military discussions with each other, because um, I can see many ways in which, I mean, in the same way that we talked about India, Pakistan, and there's concern about the possibility of um, an escalation that leads to a nuclear detonation. We are coming in very close contact with each other, the US and Russia, in various military theaters. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, airplanes, Right. Uh, coming very, coming close very close to each yep. other yep. in Syria, over the Black Sea, mm-hmm. in the Baltic region. Near, um, near Alaska,
0: near other places, I mean, all over. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, and, and this is happening, again, with no active dialogue between the two mm-hmm. militaries, with no active negotiations, with no discussions, um, you know, at the regular discussions at the highest level, the the minister, the secretary of state, minister of foreign affairs level. So we have got to get back to negotiations, talking to each other, listening to each Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. to understand security concerns and jointly addressing them. We know how to do that. We've done it before.
0: (laughs) But we're just not doing it now. And and, and I want to, when we come back on this, I want to even kind of talk about the dynamic of where we are as like the UN, the Security Council and all the other kind of things. I mean, do they have a role to play in this now? I mean- you know, uh, you know, the NATO alliances, I mean, how, you know, all the different alliances that are out there, you know, are they having these discussions right now? And is there a way to bring everybody back together again to the table? I mean, I'm just, you know, part of me is just wondering, you know, where do we get, you know, if if all these treaties expire and we say, well, listen, we need to kind of get this at a global level and, and we need to all come back to the table and figure this out and stop it. Where are we on that? And I don't answer yet. Because I want to, I want to, you know, we got to take a quick break. But when we kick in on the next side of it, then I want you to think about that and kind of answer that question right there. Because I, I mean, that's part of my concern. If even if we do come together, and then we got other countries who are obtaining nuclear weapons, are they at the table? You know, is everybody at the table? Kind of saying, "Hey, listen, we we got to calm this right?" right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and because I, I don't necessarily know if we'll stop people from from getting uh, the weapons, but at least let's all be on the same page right. about usage and everything else. We're talking about the nuclear threat. Uh, concerning situation and and we don 't think about it on a regular basis because probably it, it's overwhelming it, it, it becomes too much but the 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 threat is real and if anybody remembers back to one thousand nine hundred and forty five or World War two and you just saw the the devastating impact of you know the bomb being you know dropped in you know, Hiroshima everywhere else, imagine the weapons now are are a hundred times more powerful than what that was at one point in time. So imagine the death and destruction if one bomb—that's a hundred more times—could be dropped over somewhere, and how many people would, would die from that? We have to think about these situations right now. This is why we're having this discussion right now. We're talking to John Roffling. She's the president and C—I mean COO of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. We got to check their website out: nti.org. Nti.org. Go to the website. A lot to learn. A lot of analysis. But I think it'll also get you a lot more involved in this discussion that we're having right now. We're going to take a quick break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we have been having... a nice conversation about the nuclear threat. When I and when I say nice, I mean a uh, uh, understanding conversation where we're learning some things about this threat that people don't necessarily know about. When I say nice, I mean it, it, to me, we've got to understand this in order to prevent something to happen in the future. And so we've got to get on top of this because we haven't been talking about this for a long time. I mean, I don't think I don't think I've had a discussion on nuclear threat in years, Joe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so I think you know. And as we talk about it, it's not in the schools. Uh, Some of the uh, some of our higher education institutions don't talk about it anymore in schools of national security. You are not unique in that regard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, we but but, you know, we've got to get this conversation back on the table and we've got to start. You know, it used to be a conversation back in the Cold War time period. Right. It used to be a conversation that we always had. Right. Where people were preparing for nuclear war and and they were doing a drop down and getting under the desk and everybody else was scared. Right. And it was just on our minds. That's
1: where I came into the picture. Exactly.
0: The Cuban Missile Crisis. Right.
1: I mean, all these other
0: parts of history that we just, you know, we've kind of put aside right now, right. right? We've got to have these conversations. We're talking to Joan Ruffling. She is the president and COO of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, and this is a great site that has a lot of educational material on it. I think we've got to get all of the world involved in this type of stuff to learn about the nuclear threat, to understand what's going on. And, and just us in America, we've got to put, put this as kind of front and center to make sure as we continue to grow because we have the most nuclear weapons. I mean, we are we have to be the responsible party. <laughs> you know, we have to be the kind of the leaders of this, right? Absolutely. Um, and and we've got to have this on front and center because if we don't recognize that we have enough weapons between us and Russia and maybe a couple other countries just to annihilate the world, right? And and we don't want that to happen. Right? I mean, there's too many great things that are going on, and this is why we're talking about this. You know, John, I brought up a question before we kind of ended about where 's the u n on this you know where's nato where's all the kind of the, the bodies of security? Where are they on this nuclear situation
1: so in in varying places and i I would take a step back i mean NATO is important to this discussion. The United Nations is essential to this discussion, mm-hmm. but back to the u s russia hmm. leadership okay. question because okay. um, we must lead n- not only must we lead, we have to work in in gathering the rest of the world and mobilizing the rest of the world Mm -hmm. to tackle this problem because it is a collective problem. I was going to say, though, it is um, a problem that no one country can solve on its own. It is -hmm. is an inherently global issue. So the U.S. could do everything Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and still not guarantee its security if, say – India and Pakistan had a very significant nuclear exchange mm-hmm. and let's say and there's there's been a study done on this looking at the consequences of an exchange of about 50 weapons apiece mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. nuclear and Pakistan mm-hmm. and the estimate is it would create an atmospheric uh a, a climate challenge that would you know much like when a big volcano right. spews sure. a lot of um stuff into yeah, yeah, the yeah. ash right. into right. the air It would block out the sunlight and destroy crops, create a global famine over a multi-year people, leading to the death of billions of Mm. people. This is some research done within the last 10 years Mm -hmm. in Scientific American. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the point here is it's truly global. This can only be solved on a global basis. Um, You know, nuclear terrorism is in the same category. So we need the U.N., we need forums where states come together and develop a set of solutions that we all adhere right. to in right. terms of right. how we prevent the threat.
0: I don't know if we had uh, put it on air or maybe us we were just talking, but you were, you were saying in the time that we're doing this interview that – the, the world could change, right? I mean, somebody could launch uh, the, a nuclear device. This is device. an imminent threat.
1: I right. mean, not, this, not to sound like Debbie Downer <laughs> here, but... <laughs> not to um, sound like
0: the apocalypse, right? Nothing like that, right? Yeah. But
1: missiles, missile flight time, intercontinental ballistic missiles can fly from Russia to the United States mm-hmm. in under half an hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you right. know, in a, in a very short period right. of time, our world could change if for some reason a, a Russian leader decided mm-hmm. to execute a launch or um, or simply an accident happened. And one of these things sure. was fired by sure. mistake, in error. Right. So, you know, there, right. there are a number of global threats, but this one is is urgent and yeah. time-sensitive. So,
0: and, and, and just, you know, we have a short period of time, so I want to talk about two things. Very quickly, what's the threat of Asia, you know, kind of North Korea, China, but then secondly... What What is your organization really, really active in doing to stop this stuff?
1: Wow. In a short <laughs> I know, period of time, two know, really big questions. Let exactly. me try and tackle quickly Asia. Um, I, you know, North Korea, I would say, is uh, one of the biggest challenges we're facing in Asia right now. There's been a lot of good media reporting on um, the events of the last few days with the two presidents coming together in a summit. Um, and... Unfortunately, we didn't uh, achieve what we all hoped – I say the big we, the Mm -hmm. global we – we all hoped our leaders would achieve, which was some kind of a deal on denuclearization of North Korea. But as I read the press, it sounds like the door is still open. We hope Mm -hmm. the door is still open to further negotiations. And that is positive as long as the two sides continue to talk – President Trump also suggested that North Korea was going to continue to observe restraint in terms of not testing any further missiles for the time being or any nuclear weapons. That's positive. It suggests that they're not trying to provoke while we see if we can come to some kind of a deal. But the threat there has steadily, inexorably grown. They've been building on their capabilities Pretty consistently mm-hmm. right. um, they continue to produce more material for more weapons right. um, they have developed the capability uh, to fly those weapons right. intercontinentally um, yeah. to the United States right. and, and now we're you know most of the us is with in range, range of their yeah. missile systems mm-hmm. um, they still have more work to do before we believe they can make the warhead to the missile and fly it successfully but If they continue to work on it, there's no doubt it's just a matter of time before they can achieve that. So we need a diplomatic solution, and I hope both sides continue to work on that.
0: What are you guys doing? I mean, what's the the direct impact that you're having? Yeah, so
1: what what is NTI doing? What can a private organization Mm -hmm. do in Mm -hmm. this space? And the answer is a lot more than people think. Mm -hmm. And I would stop for a moment and just say we understand that – Governments are essential to solving this problem. Governments have the authority right. and the resources that are necessary to put the solutions in place that are going to keep us safe over time. But governments need some help too, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly tackling global challenges where no single government can do this on their own. And that's where NTI comes right. in. Sure. We're working across the issue space to help identify. You know, so we're you know a small team of of I'd like to say very smart people. I'm not talking about myself, but we have just the world's best team of sure, experts at, sure. at the Nuclear and Threat Initiative. You were initiative. among those. You were among them. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, so we innovate solutions. We're trying to create. We're you know envisioning the world as we would like it to be. You know, one year hence, mm-hmm. five, ten, twenty-five years hence. What are the systems we need in place? What are the institutions we need? What are the technologies we need? What are the policies that we right. need? And then we're going out and we're modeling what that looks like okay. out in the fields. So I'll give you like two concrete yeah. examples. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of them is an early example. Very early, our first year in business, because we were very concerned about nuclear terrorism and we saw loose nuclear materials in various places around the world, we thought, you know what? We need a global initiative to make sure that the core ingredients of nuclear weapons, that is, in particular, plutonium and highly enriched uranium, that wherever those exist in the world, they are locked up to the highest Mm -hmm. possible standard. And better yet, let's reduce the number of countries who have those materials. So we chose a pilot project. Mm -hmm. We uh, found a research facility outside of Belgrade that had about two and a half bombs Mm -hmm. worth of Highly enriched uranium yeah, yeah. that was not properly secured. Mm-hmm. And we worked with the, um, the Serbian government, the Russian government, our own government, mm-hmm. and the International Atomic Energy mm-hmm. Agency, the world's mm-hmm. nuclear watchdog, to move that material, to repatriate it back to Russia, wow. which was the origin of the material, right. to put it under much stronger security, to um, – Basically decommission the site right. in Serbia, right. Right. and you know more importantly than just securing material at a single site, we then held that up as a model to the U.S. government and said, "All right, this what can be done." There are dozens more of right. these facilities right. around the world. Right. We need a program that goes after all right. of them, locks down right. the material, right. improves security, right. and guess what? The U.S. to its credit. Undertook that effort and invested multiple billions of dollars in a class action program that has secured, um, you know, many, many sites. And we have reduced over the last 20 years from you know, high 40s, uh, the number of countries right, right. that have these materials, down to 22 wow. today. Wow. So that's one example. And right. maybe I'll stop there. Yeah, because we are many other examples, but we, we have we, no more time.
0: And, and and I was telling Joan that we're going to have to have her back. I mean, because, you know, I mean, uh, that example alone to me shows the power of what you're doing. Right. Well, thank and, you. I, and I always tell people government can't solve the problems alone. Right. We've got to get out of that mindset. We've got to get out of the mindset that the government can do it alone. It's got to be, you know, private, public, nonprofit. It's got to be all of us together working on these solutions. We're better together. We're better together. I mean, you're perfectly right, and 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 so when when we think about government, everybody's like, oh, the government can do it, right? It's like, no, it's impossible because really, we would bankrupt the government if government had to solve everything, right? So it has to be everybody doing this. So, Joan, just thank you for you know what your team is doing, what you're doing. We're going to have you back in a couple months to talk about this more because we didn't even get into cyber, which we got. We into.
1: didn't. We didn't get there. So, uh, sadly, there are so many more. Threats, so many but. other
0: issues, bio and all the others. I mean, there's so many other issues. So we're going to have to have you back in a couple months so we can get into it because I think people got to understand. And I'm so concerned about cyber, about, like you said, spoofing about the power of somebody seeing a screen and, 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 and somebody taking over their screen and they, they think they're doing something and then they're doing the wrong thing. Uh, there's so much that's happening in this realm that we've, Got to be on top of. So we appreciate what you're doing. We've been listening to, you know, to a, 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 a whole thing about nuclear threat from Joan Roffling. She's the president and COO of the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Go check out their site nti.org. A lot of stuff on there. you will gonna blow your mind. It's not overwhelming. If we get a handle on this right now, we can get a handle on the future, in the future in terms of kind of keeping these weapons. Where they are, and maybe kind of scaling them back. I mean, I hope we could scale them back one day, but at least keeping them where they are so
1: they don't ever go off. Thank you, Joan. Thank you so much for hosting me, and thank you so much for tackling this issue. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.